So you see the message title this morning, How Do You Respond to Difficult People? Does anybody immediately come to mind for you? Last weekend, author and columnist David Brooks had an article in the New York Times and he wrote about this subject. It was interesting, I'd already planned on speaking on this because just seeing the polarization in society and how it affects a lot of relationships in our church and all the rest. But David Brooks, he wrote this, he said, starts the article this way. Think of your 12 closest friends. These are the people you vacation with, talk about your problems with, do life with in the most intimate and meaningful ways. Now imagine if six of those people suddenly took a political or public position that you found utterly vile. Now imagine learning that those six people think that your position is utterly vile. You would suddenly realize that the people you thought you knew best and cared about most had actually been total strangers all along. You would feel disoriented, disturbed, unmoored. Your life would change. This is what has happened over the past six years to millions of American Christians, especially evangelicals. This is in the New York Times. And he says, especially among Christians, and you might go, what does he mean by evangelical? It usually refers to, it's not a political title, although people take it that way. It's people who believe that you can have a personal relationship with Jesus and accept the Bible as being relevant for today. Uh, and he's saying, among those people, there's been division as never before. He points to three big issues in the article that have profoundly divided Christians. He says there are deep political divisions, sex abuse scandals, and attitudes about race relations. And I would also add masks and vaccines. Is that fair? I don't know how he left that one off. Brooks continues his article uh, with this line. He says, it's not just normal bickering. There is now a common desire to pummel, shame, and ostracize other Christians over disagreements. Now we might, you might, if you read the article, or if you read it, you might you know, disagree with some of his findings about relational fractures among Christians. And I would say, in a sense, it's a mirror of what's happening in the broader culture. But it's not just in the culture out there, it's, it's in our own relationships, it's personal. That I've had so many people at Grace who have said, oh my goodness, they said, our disagreement over the vaccine hasn't just been intellectual, it's become intensely personal. Like our Christmas was wrecked because of this topic or because of race relations or they found out who we voted for was different who they voted for and wondered how we can even call ourselves Christians and we scrapped our family reunion. You know, we, the grandkids aren't seeing the grandparents and, and there's all kinds of different iterations of how this looks and you just go, wow. It's touched churches. Across America, there have been deep polarizations that have made spiritual leaders agonize. No matter what the issue or the decision, you know that you're going to alienate or anger one group or the other by the decision that you make. 38% of pastors have said in the last year that they've seriously considered leaving vocational ministry because they say, I just can't take it, I'm tired, I'm exhausted. I just want to say I'm not one of those 38%, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I'm so grateful for the, that the vast majority of people at Grace have been supportive and even celebrated the decisions that the elders and leadership team here has made. But we've still had families and people who have left, people who have been angry, maybe you've been angry with me. 
Um, there's been conflict, and, and that's just that's happening all across the nation. But maybe what's been toughest for me to watch is how it's impacted marriages. How these last couple of years, there have been things that have come to the surface as couples have gone through stress. And I've had numerous friends whose marriages are disintegrating or have uh, gone to divorce, and my heart has ached for them. We could use some relational wisdom, right? I want to tell you how grateful I am for God's Word, that this book, it says in Psalm 119, is a lamp for our feet and a what? A light for our path. And so when we are wondering, God, it just seems like there's so much craziness right now, that God's word gives us wisdom, often countercultural, that helps us to walk in the ways of Jesus. So here's what we're going to do. This week we're going to talk about how do you deal with difficult people, or maybe how do you treat people who see you as sort of an enemy? And then next week, we're going to talk about what I, I, I term the hard side of love. Like, what do you do when someone's behavior is sort of destructive or abusive? And, and what does love look like then? You know, how do, how do you deal with that? But today, how do you deal with difficult people? And we're going to turn to Romans chapter 12. So if you have a Bible or you have your, uh, your, the Bible app on your phone, you can turn there as well. Romans chapter 12. Just want to say again to those of you engaging online, really glad to have you. I get letters from some of you. You send an email in or I see in the community, go, hey, I'm still uh, you know, with you online. And, and some new people, we want to say we love you. We're grateful for you as well. Glad to have you with us. Romans chapter 12, I'm going to begin with verse 14, and here's what the Apostle Paul says. This is how do you respond to difficult people, and here's what Paul writes. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, take him to Chick-fil-A. <laughs> if, if he's thirsty, take I'll just read the Bible. Uh, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Okay. You read that and you go, okay, he was talking about how to deal with difficult people. I want you to have someone in your head. Can you think of one or two people that in this season you'd go, there's someone in my family, my extended friendships, someone at Grace, someone in my workplace, my school that you go, that person, if I were to take a title and say difficult person, they would be one or two on the list. Have someone in your head? Okay, I want you to say their name. No, no, don't say their name out loud. I'm just teasing. No, no. But I want you to have them in the head because I want us to not just make this sort of ethereal or philosophical, but to say, God, I, I want to apply your word in my life and, and I, I want to follow you because how you interact and how you love the people around you if I fail to love the people around me, uh, it says in 1 Corinthians 13, we looked at last month, that, that I can be the most gifted person and have all kinds of you know, spiritual 
authority and power, but if I don't love people well, it's all worth how much? It's zero. And so we want to get this one right and look at what does Paul say love looks like even when it's tough? So I put in your notes, and if you want to follow along, you'll find those on the app we talked about earlier, or if you just go to our homepage of our website, it says bulletin, and the notes are the first things that you'll come up in your bulletin. But let me just mention these. We have several ways that how do you deal with difficult people. Number one, speak undeserved words of blessing. He says in verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Now, we don't use those words a whole lot today, except we might say God bless you or bless you, but this was a huge theme in the Bible. Blessings were sought. Like, you'd be like, oh my goodness, this was amazing. They blessed me. You know, when Jacob is, uh, and uh, his brother Esau, they're fighting for their father's blessing. And to be cursed by someone would be something you'd go, no, no, I, I don't want that. C- cursing in the Bible is not like four-letter words or expletives that come out of your mouth. Uh, it's, well, if you look in your notes, it says this, to bless someone is to wish them well, to desire God's favor on their lives. To curse is to call down doom, to wish for disaster, failure, misfortune. It's making a declaration about someone. You go, oh man, did you hear they got fired from their job? And you just, in German it's called schadenfreude, right? You find pleasure in someone else's downfall. And you're, you take joy in it. You, you're essentially, you're, you're almost wishing or glad when they experience failure in their lives. It's a curse. Sometimes it's just really speaking against the image of God in a person, and we might go, that guy is such an idiot. What a jerk. She is such a loser. And we're speaking about people who have been made in the image of God, people for whom Christ died. And we're dishonoring the image of God in another person. In a sense, we're cursing them. Something I've noticed over the years it's almost like some Christians have added to the list of spiritual gifts. You know, the spiritual gifts are some of the gift of encouragement, some of the gift of administration, of leadership, the gift of tongues, the gift of, you know, they have the gift of faith. But some people would say, you know, I've added to that list. I believe that God has given me the gift of criticism. And I, I, I've been honing this gift. I, I practice it like every day multiple times a day. Some of you know people who think they have this gift um, and, and they're sort of, they're really good at it. Like they can find fault in everybody, you know, and, and almost in everything they find, you know, the newsflash. There still is no spiritual gift of criticism. Amen? Like that is an offense to God. If I go around and I just find fault in everybody, I'm essentially bringing down a curse on those people. Blessing a person means instead that you affirm that a person has great value, that they're made in the likeness of God. Doesn't mean you agree with everything they do or you affirm everything about who they, you know, the person they're becoming, but you just, you find a way to say, I, I believe that person is, like you might say, you know, I know that God's going through a really tough time right now, but I am so grateful that God's grace is bigger than any problems he's facing. Or I know that she's made some decisions that she might regret, but, but I know that her future can be so bright if she fully surrenders her life to Jesus. We're blessing them. 
We're seeing him through the eyes of grace. We bless instead of curse. You know, it's incongruous to praise the Lord with our mouth and then out of the same mouth to diss people, if you will. James chapter three, here's what it says. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father and with it, we curse people who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth, Come praise and cursing, my brothers and sisters, this should what? Not be. He's saying essentially, watch your mouth. There's a disconnect if you go to church on Sunday and you're raising your hands and praising Jesus, which is wonderful, but then you leave church on the way home and go, did you see what they were wearing today? That was so ridiculous. What an idiot. Or Pastor Jonathan, that guy, no, whatever, you know, or you go to work and you just, you're the person who's using your gift of spiritual criticism. He says, you know what? When you try to praise me on Sunday and out of the same mouth on Monday come these words of, he goes, that shouldn't be. There's something wrong. Speak undeserved words of blessing. I love the verse in Proverbs chapter 18. Your tongue has the power of what? Life and death. Wow. Blessings and curses. Life and death. Which one is it from you? Second thing you can do for difficult people, not only speak undeserved words of blessing, but refuse, because he says, bless those who curse you. Even people who, he goes on, he says, refuse to retaliate. Verse 17, do not repay evil for evil. Any parent has been in a situation where here's some screaming in the next room, So you go in the next room and you go, hey, what's going on here? He hit me first, which means you did what back? I popped him, baby, because he hit me first and I let him have it. And and we adults, we sometimes do that in in a more, you know, um, we might not use our fists, but we use our words or we use, and he goes, I don't want you to be like that. That's, that's what the world does. Anybody can do that. You repay evil for evil. You know, you do that to me, I'm going to get back at you. And he says instead, he, he says, just, just don't do that. We have the tendency, you know, we're driving down the highway and someone cuts us off and what do we do? We test the dexterity of that one finger on our hand as we drive by them, you know, or... Uh, the one finger that can stick up or we, or we maybe cut him off or we scowl at him or whatever. And, or whatever, we're, he says, don't repay evil for evil. Our natural inclination is to respond with anger and gossip. We just sort of pour fuel on the fire. Things escalate. I'm not saying that you don't deal with it, but How can you do that in a way where you say, Lord, I need your help? Can I just make a a suggestion here? We have seven counselors, Christian counselors, that are affiliated with Grace that uh, see hundreds and hundreds of people, and and I I hear so much affirmation of the work that they do. We just added two recently because there was a long wait, but they they see people um, through the week and just are a safe place to say, what would it look like for you to respond in a healthy way? What might be a perspective that you can approach that situation? And you start to unravel some of your emotions or why do I respond with a six when I ought to respond on the level of a two with anger? Or I wanna honor Christ. How do I honor Christ in this relationship? 
and talk to someone and who can help walk you through that. Don't repay evil for evil, but with good. He says, in fact, Jesus takes it that step further and he says, do undeserved acts of kindness. In other words, not just a passive like, no, we'll repay evil with evil. He says, no, instead I want you, you know what he says in Luke chapter six, he says, love your enemies, do, do good to those who hate you. You love out of obedience to Christ. You, you can, you don't even have to feel like you love the person. You can act out of obedience to Christ and say, Jesus, I don't feel warm fuzzies on this one. I still am frustrated, but you've called me to love the people who are difficult to do good, so I'm going to do that. I'm going I'm to go help that neighbor. I'm going to... Third, look for solutions to conflict. He says in verse 18 here, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I really like how he nuances that. Um, he says, do whatever is in your power to make things work. Give it your best effort. Look for a win-win. In fact, be satisfied with a win-lose. Not you win and they lose, but they win and you lose. That's counterintuitive, isn't it? Like in culture, we're like, oh no, that, that's not gonna happen. But you know what the Bible encourages? That, that you and I prioritize peace and our testimony over our rights. In fact, listen to the scripture regarding lawsuits among Christians in 1 Corinthians 6. Paul says, the very fact that you as believers in Jesus have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? You go, wait a second. You'd rather me be wronged or cheated? Yeah, at times. Why? Because our testimony is more important than our rights. Let me say it one more time. Your testimony is more important than your rights. About a year and a half ago, uh, my wife Mary's grandmother, me mommy, died uh, at the age of 99. Uh, and she had an estate. It wasn't millions, but it was enough that it would have made a difference, you know, for those who were in her will. So me, mommy's two children had already passed away and she had six grandchildren. And so it was going to be divided among the six grandchildren, of which my wife was one of them. Well, in the couple years before me, mommy passed away, she had had dementia for several years. One of the family members took her to a lawyer and changed the will. Some of you have been there, you've seen that happen. And so, uh, Mary got none of that estate, and this other person received almost 100%. Was that right? No. But Mary uh, said, you know, Jonathan, the same thing happened when my dad died. You know, his wife called me in and said, um, you know, your dad left you his love and was hesitant to give a picture. And uh, Mary got nothing from that, even though she was supposed to. And she said, my testimony as a follower of Jesus is more important than taking this to court and fighting for my rights. I'm just not going to do it. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you. Now, you might say, Jonathan, are you saying it's always wrong to pursue legal action? 
No, I'm not, I'm not saying that. It, it might be entirely the right thing to do for a single mom to go after their kid's dad, uh, the, you know, for child support because out of love for the kids, saying these children, I, I want to see them be cared for. Or maybe a person injured in a car accident says, I've got to have a financial settlement because I'm going to be dealing with this for the rest of my life. But before we just jump in too quickly in our lawsuit-happy society to say, God, um, where would you rather me be wronged than to stand up for my rights? What does it mean to follow you in this particular situation? Jesus talks about doing good to those who are difficult. Paul says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you. We'll talk more about that next week. Jesus didn't even live at peace with everyone. What happens when we have a difficult time doing the same, the hard side of love? Next week on that. Next one here. In the end, trust God to settle the score. He says in verse 19, do not take revenge, my friends, but what are those two words, powerful words there? Leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. This is a tough one, right? Because we have to trust that God is going to follow through in his promise. We're like, Lord, I don't really know if you're going to, if you're ever going to settle the score in this one. And he'll either settle the score at the cross because all of the sins of the world have been poured out on Jesus. But if a person never puts their trust in Christ, he says, someday they're going to have to pay for what they've done. And so he says, leave room for God's wrath. I found it helpful to say a phrase that in my head, if not out loud, Jonathan, just let it go. God is bigger. Just let it go. God is bigger. Would you say that out loud with me right now? Ready? Just let it go. God is bigger. In other words, we pass the injustice onto him and say, God, you deal with this as you see fit. When you find out that the previous uh, homeowner lied to you about water in the basement and you have no recourse left right now, God, I'm just going to let it go. You're bigger. I'm not going to let my heart be filled with bitterness. When a colleague doesn't follow through on a commitment to help out with the project and it all falls on your lap, I'm just going to let it go. God is bigger. Someone has put it this way. They said, when you take retaliation into your own hands, you usurp God's authority and role as the judge. You're not leaving room for God to say, Jonathan, will you trust me? That I'm going to take care of that? You're taking on a job that God has already committed to do. Now again, letting go of vengeance doesn't mean that you let go of justice. Those are different. Justice is the pursuit of what's right, and vengeance is seeking personal retribution. I'm going to take this into my own hands because I don't trust the authorities. I don't trust God. You can forgive and still allow consequences to be meted out. One more thing here, meet real needs. Here's what we mean by that. Paul says in verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Here what Paul's saying is going, I, I want you to show kindness in practical ways. Instead of just, don't do what just makes you look good. Do, do, what's, do what's really best for that other person. How, how, what can you do? Maybe you take your snowblower to the neighbor whose leaves always blow into your yard and you help snowblow their driveway. Or, you know, you, someone at work, you're like, I'm going to bring them a coffee or whatever. I don't know what it would be for you. 
But you say, God, I, I want to show your kindness to people that I find frustrating. Friends, when we love like that, two, two things. One, the apostle Peter says, he's talking to wives in a specific situation who have unbelieving husbands, but he says, just by the way that you live your life, your integrity, he says, you might win over someone to be a follower. That's true for you and me. When we live out our faith in Christ, someone can be won over by our behavior. And even if there's little response or breakthrough, you and I were reflecting the heart of God our Father. In fact, I want to just read a couple of uh, verses in closing here from Luke chapter 6, where Jesus, who I think Paul is echoing in Romans 12, Jesus says to all of his followers, he tells us, he says, love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You see the two benefits there? He says, when you're kind to difficult people, in a polarized society, two things happen. Your reward is great from your father, and you become more like your father in heaven. I want that in my life, don't you? Is it difficult? It's not just difficult, it's impossible. It's impossible to love the way that God calls us to love unless we've said, God, I want to invite you to come in. I need all of your resources because I can't do this on my own. And you invite him to come and to live and to love through you. Friends, here's what I wonder. What if you and I, wherever you watch the Super Bowl or whatever you do today, um, and tomorrow as you go to work or school or wherever you hang out, what if we went out in the name of Jesus and in this season of polarization, we live differently? If we were marked by the character of Christ, if we said, I I'm going to bless people who are mean to me, I'm going to do good, I'm, I'm going to not repay evil for evil, I'm going to pray for those. What if we lived out what Jesus was calling us? What, what would happen? How might it interest other people to say, you have something that I need? I'm going to invite you to pray with me right now, and uh, there's going to be a prayer on the screen. We're going to do this a little bit differently here, and I'm going to invite you to pray with me out loud, to keep your eyes open, and to say, Jesus, I want this to be true. Remember that person I asked you to have in your head a little bit, a little bit ago, the person who's difficult? I want us to pray right now for those people, collectively. We won't mention them by name, but you've got them in your head, and let's just ask God even now to bless them. If you're ready to do that, Let's pray together. You ready? You'll see the words on the screen. Let's pray out loud. Heavenly Father, please do your will in the life of this person I find hard to love. Show them mercy and kindness. Fill the empty cracks and crevices of their heart with your loving presence. Teach me how I can reflect your heart and do good to them. Lord, your promise is that you make your home in us when we trust you. So we invite you to live and love through us. Thank you that you will be faithful, faithful to show us solutions, faithful to settle the score, faithful to provide whatever we need, faithful in every way. May we trust you and follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.